Here we go. Another episode of Laid Off, the Blair Thomas podcast presented by my unemployment. (laughs) Hey, if you need a link to subscribe, go to the website. It's BlairThomasMedia.com. Please leave a review. Subscribe. I really appreciate you for doing that. And uh, hopefully you're staying safe. We're almost through this coronavirus thing, you guys. Just hang in there. On this episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Robbie Jester, one of the most creative, talented chefs and minds in the food industry. And we're going to talk about what it's going to be like reopening a restaurant after lockdown. The one food Robbie will not try, which shocked me. Plus, What it was like to beat Bobby Flay on national TV and all of the secrets behind our favorite cooking shows. And you do not want to miss that. I guarantee you're going to be extremely hungry by the end of this. Robbie Jester. All right, joining me now, it's Laid Off and another guest and another good guy from our local area who is the king of all things delicious. I've always said that about you. Um, we have three-time Best of Delaware Upstate Chef. We have maybe the guy who has the best Cavatelli shrimp scampi this side of Bobby Flay. <laughs> it is <laughs> from New Stone Balloon Ale House, Limestone Barbecue of Bourbon, and Full Circle Food and a High Five Hospitality. My good friend and one of the best, it's Robbie Jester. What's up, man? Hey, man. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Hey, dude, thanks for doing this. Um, it's been a strange couple of months, and uh, you know, you with a local tie everything that we've kind of strived to do as a local business also and kind of tying that in i wanted to make sure you were on and and highlight some of the awesome things that you've been doing recently especially with full circle food and meal prep and meal delivery services to people has it been tough uh, i know there's there's word of food shortages and everything else going on like how's it been for you uh yeah so it's it's a wild time to start off with um you know and i kind of have to separate my my answer to that into two separate things so yeah. Uh, with the the restaurants, obviously, you know, people were out of work for a long time and just kind of like thinking on the fly and creating new ideas and seeing what people are doing and trying to constantly evolve in this short amount of time has been super challenging. Uh, but, you know, I'm doing it so that my teams can come back to work. So it's just like you have to, you know, kind of take a look at the, the grand scope of things and what's going on. And then say, okay, well, how can I be different? Or how can I highlight something that we do? Or, you know, so what I've done is I've actually gone to, to Facebook and social media and like for the cheap date night at Stone Balloon, we've been doing that to go. It's been very successful, but I've been going out and saying, hey, what do you want to see on that menu? And then creating a menu based off of what people's answers are on Facebook and then you know, naming the dish after them when they, when they do that. So if Blair says, Hey, you know, Robbie, I really love that, uh, that beef stroganoff, you know, could you do that beef stroganoff? I'll say, yeah, sure. And then it'll be Blair's beef stroganoff after that. So that's awesome. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, just being very agile, being, you know, very willing to, uh, use different ingredients, different techniques. I think anybody that's come into this with uh, like the, the idea that I am who I am and I'm going to stay to that. I appreciate that, but you have to be nimble and you have to make changes because people expect different things now than they did three weeks ago. You know, three weeks ago it was, I want all the Mac and cheese. I want all the comfort food, everything that makes me feel like home. And now it's (laughs) like, I want everything that makes me feel, feel like summer. So we've been fortunate that we've been able to do that. Limestone barbecue is, has, you know, as it, warmed up has done great throughout all this and then full circle food 
uh, you know, we're just very fortunate that we had that model going to start with, you know, healthy meals delivered to people's homes. Uh, so it has continued to uh, do really well and flourish. We did uh, software change, you know, kind of, you know, ramped up our uh, our aesthetic online and things like that. Uh, our menus have really been great with the a little bit of extra time to be creative. Um, but it's really boomed and we're help, we're we're grateful to be able to serve a wide audience. You know, we deliver now for full circle from uh, north of Philadelphia down to the beaches. So we're delivering wow, yeah. everywhere and it's it, it's grown and it's been a blessing. And um, it's also allowed me to employ some of my restaurant people that have been out of work uh, at full circle because it's still growing and thriving and things like that. Uh, then just initiatives to help feed people that are out of work. So, uh, with full circle, we made a commitment. Um, our commitment period just ended where every meal that was bought for full circle in that time period, we matched with a, a meal for somebody who's out of work. So, wow, that's incredible, man. I didn't know that part. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And then one of the beautiful things that comes out of that is when you, when you do awesome things like that, sometimes awesome things come back around. So one of our food purveyors, Gordon food service, they saw that we were doing that and they basically said, look, you know, when, when everyone shut down, you know, we have all this food that we need to get rid of, or it's going to go bad. We have all this fresh produce. We have some dairy, we have, you know, orange juice, things like that. Hey, do you have an outlet to give these away to people? So therefore, probably three weeks straight, we would see receive deliveries from them like every other day of just whatever produce they had that they needed to get rid of. And we were literally people were just driving up to the back door and we were going, how many people are you feeding? Giving them boxes mm. of food and, and serving people. So we did it out of, uh, you know, just believing it was the right thing to do, believing we, that we had the uh, resources to do it. And then it just gets amplified when people get a hold of it. So it's been great. And just the pride in restaurant people and the restaurant culture in general to take care of themselves, each other, their own, and just the community at large. I can't be more proud of being a part of this business right now. They're doing something amazing. And none of that is in any kind of playbook or any kind of document that you read when it comes to owning and managing. It's just something that you're doing with your team. That's incredible. That's above and beyond the norm because things are crazy enough. And and for you all to take time away, put extra effort into doing more and especially for our local area, I think is amazing. And you kind of talked about creativity and, and finding new ways to market and to manage and new fresh ideas for the menu. Even I think that's so important now because we're seeing so many local business owners get to the point where they hit this wall of creativity and we're seeing those who are special in that department kind of rise to the top and do things like what you're doing and others who maybe aren't as creative in such a strange, uncertain time are, are really hampered by that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a, ch look, it, it's a challenge. And I've been fortunate enough that, you know, m my perspective on, you know, stone balloon, limestone barbecue and our company has been able to change every couple of years because we've opened new restaurants and done things like that. But for somebody who has served our community, serving spaghetti and meatballs for 35, 40 years to then, you know, say, okay, well, you're not open. You're only open for takeout and the traditional avenues that you had to reach people aren't going to be there. Like it, it's challenging. And I, I feel for anybody that has done things a certain way, exactly the same way for so long 
and hasn't, you know, been able to, to come up to, to changing that fast. Uh, you know, there's that side. And then there's the side of people who just are wearing their pride on their sleeve and going, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it the yeah. way I've always done it. And people, mm -hmm. and you know, unfortunately that sentiment is kind of, uh, I think it's kind of selfish. We have a community that needs, that's needs have changed. And if you don't evolve to those needs and quite frankly, like th this, this at some point has become the wrong business for you. Yeah, I would agree. And that takes us to now where we are starting to see some sort of normalcy uh, restaurants reopening, sometimes at reduced capacity, 30 percent right now, I think, in Delaware. And how difficult is that reopening and moving forward now with this new chapter? Because now everyone's just kind of in. People have been stir crazy. I know I've been a little stir crazy. I can't wait to go back to my favorite places like Stone Balloon. And I mean, is it going to be? another wave of creativity for you? Like how is it now reopening after uh, that first wave of strangeness we've been dealing with? Well, I think that the same creativity that's gotten us this far in, um, in this pandemic that we're dealing with is going to, it's going to have to continue. I mean, 30, 30% capacity is not a profitable business model. If you needed 30% of the space, you wouldn't you wouldn't have have rented a hundred percent of the space. So everyone has got established business models, and they're based on the, the amount of square footage they have. That being said, there have been some businesses that have been able to function with less right now, and there are some who actually have increased sales in this time because they've adapted because they've done those things. So it is challenging, but we can never look at it like it's insurmountable. Now, some people were in bad shape before this happened, and these sorts of things just amplify kind of maybe poor business practices or poor financial practices or whatever the case may be, or just unfortunate life circumstances, right? You know, the this sort of thing just amplifies those things. But as we move into being open 30%, I think that we're going to find very quickly, and I could be proven wrong, that once um, people prove that they can behave in a responsible manner and go to restaurants at 30% capacity. I don't think that we are far away at all from seeing 50% capacity or hundred percent capacity. I think for everybody that's made it this far, I think we just, you just got to take one more step and we'll get yeah. there, you know, take the step, figure out where you're at, where your staffing levels need to be and adapt. And then, you know, we'll be back to some sort of sense of normal, uh, soon enough as far as what we can serve and what we're allowed to serve. That being said, there's a lot of people that are cautious and don't want to go out. I think that it's going to take months for um, people to feel truly comfortable. Now, as businesses, we have to do everything that we can to make them feel comfortable. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a process to get people to, back to that comfortability to come out and eat. Um, so you're going to continue. The, the exciting part we're going to continue to see the innovation. We're going to continue to see the creativity. I know it keeps me on my toes. And then when I take and, and put something out there and the guy down the street ends up doing the same thing, well, it's just like a lot of people would be like, oh, you know, like, like that, that's crappy of them. People are just trying to survive. I don't blame anybody yeah. for that. So then it's my point in order to be different and be new to just go back to the drawing board and say, okay, how have the needs have changed now? How are people viewing this differently now? And, yeah. and my now used to be like every 
you know, six months. And my now this right now is like every eight days. So <laughs> initially for Main Street in Newark, for example, before all of this happened, was it more competitive than it is now? Because I feel like before it was, hey, we need to do better than this place or we need to do more sales than this restaurant. But you kind of mentioned the the borrowing of ideas and things like that. Like, how is that as a manager and kind of is it synergistic in a way where everyone's saying like, oh, well, if they're doing that. Let's try it, too. And is everyone kind of helping each other through this or is it kind of every man for himself or in a way? You know, it's I, I would say it is a it is a different kind of dynamic. It is more competitive, but there's more camaraderie and more like. Uh, more love behind the scenes. So as far as for the, for the dollar and for the business, I'd say it's more competitive than it ever has been because people are just trying to survive. You know, we're all just trying to survive, but I do think that there's a sense of we're going through it together. That kind of gets maybe glanced past when things are simpler and times are better. Um, You know, I've had other restaurateurs reach out to me and things like that and be like, Hey man, like just like, from, hey, like, I'm at the breaking point, like, I don't know what to do, to have the conversation of, you know, hey, man, you know, you're doing this for your people, you're doing this for your family, like, let's just come together and think about ways that you can cut costs and increase sales, um, but really, you know, trying to take care of each other, and the, the restaurants that I find are starting to thrive in this environment, simply ask themselves the questions every day, how can I serve, how can I serve? How can I serve? And by asking themselves that question, they then are in tune to the needs of people and they're, they're being supported in return. I think the restaurants that are go that I just think that you can't as a business person sit there and go and blame this and this and this and this, it's real convenient, right? It's easy. Like we can all blame shutdown and it's the governor and it's this and it's politics, whatever your personal beliefs are about the situation, but business doesn't care. Like your finances don't care about all of those things. And I don't want to seem insensitive about that, but you have to continue to look at what is a viable business model. And is there more competition? Yes, absolutely. Is there more camaraderie? Yes, absolutely. And unfortunately I think that some of that camaraderie uh, is going to, going to go away when, when times are simpler. And I really wish that we could keep these connections because together as a business, we're stronger together than we are apart. No, that's that's really well said. And you mentioned survival in the middle of all of this and figuring out new ways to manage this new normal. I, I saw a story a couple of days ago about how some restaurants are kind of implementing a, a COVID-19 surcharge, they're calling it, where they're kind of upcharging for food and really charging way, way, way more to the customer in order to to continue to provide. Do you think we'll see more of that going forward? Uh, is that going to be a new trend? And how long do you think, you know, for some businesses that'll last? Raise your prices, yes. Like, because the fact of the matter is there's a meat shortage right now. There's a supply chain. Yeah. The supply chain is broken and it is difficult to get things. Now, I pre-bought things and things like that beforehand because I... I have a great relationship with my purveyors, saw it coming, listened to the warnings and made some intelligent decisions. Now that doesn't change the fact that a beef tenderloin that cost me $9 a pound a month and a half ago now costs me $16 a pound. 
like that, mm. like, so raising, mm. raising your prices because that's where you're at. And like, th- that's kind of what people don't understand. They're like, Oh, the restaurant's raising their prices. Yes. But it's in reaction to what they have to pay in the back door. It's not because they just say, Hey, I want Blair to pay $5 this week when he paid $2 last week. It's not the reason behind it. There's, there's a rising cost here. I don't think anybody that goes grocery shopping can see that, but to put a surcharge on the menu, that is a COVID-19. I just do not prescribe to that. Like, and I could, someone else could, could give me a rationale or an argument that makes me change my mind about it. But at this current time, when I started seeing that, I was like, man, that is just like, to me, it's just victimhood. Like, yeah, it's a little gross. Yeah. And, and this is probably the most honest that I've been like outwardly about any of this. It just feels gross. It feels grimy. Like we're all going through it. And let's be honest. Like if you are a, a regular cafe or a casual dining spot, you know, some of the people that are patronizing you right now might be out of a job too. They might be running on savings or things like that. It's not like this is the rich elite buying from, you know, from restaurants. It's everybody. And to just mm-hmm. like ding other people that may be out of work. Like I have tons of employees that dine in our restaurants, whether they're using their unemployment benefits to do so, or they had money saved or they have a side hustle or they're working part-time. Luckily we've brought almost everybody back to work at high five. So that's been a blessing. We did, we did do that. Um, but like, I just can't see dinging somebody else. that's really in the same boat as you, you know, yeah, you're a restaurant person, but here you have maybe a plumber whose business has been cut in half or a third and you're going to ding him for that. He's in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is for the most part, when I've gone out, you know, I've t- taken carry out from certain places. I've done what I can to tip more or order more frequently. And I think, I think the way to make that money back, this is coming from a non-business owner. I feel like the way to make that money back in the long term would be to do things like you're doing and take care of the community, be there for everyone and do so in a generous way. And then organically people will see that and eventually come back when they say, Hey, where do you want to go for dinner on a Wednesday night? Hey, let's do cheap date night at stone balloon because you've been doing those things as opposed to just racking up the prices on everything and just saying, Hey, you guys will make this back. I think the, the handshake We'll take care of them mentality is more important now than ever, especially in the social media era now, right? Where people are seeing what you're doing and your uh, reputation and everything that goes into that is so vitally important because it's so hard to hide from the public perception of what you're doing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, do the right thing. And one of the things that I prescribe to is... Um, the idea of giving what you seek. So you're in the situation or you're looking for a certain thing. You want to like give to other people what you would expect. So if you are hurting or, or the collective is hurting, then you want to try and do things and give things that are, that is what you would want in return. It's like the golden rule, right? It's just kind of like said a little bit differently. Um, yeah. Yeah but I try to like prescribe to that. And like, I've been fortunate enough to work and be continuing to work and been blessed to have a job. So, but I have to, I can't look at it like that. I have to look at it like, okay, you know, if I was in a position where I was 
I was at home, you know, how would I want to be treated? Would I want someone to try and take care of me? And the answer is yes. And that is just a, a thing of humanity. But there is a level yeah. of reciprocation that comes back once this comes back to normalcy. Once people go back to work, they're going to remember, hey, that restaurant fed me or, hey, that organization donated in that time. People remember that stuff. And that's where their loyalties uh, tend to go when when they have the opportunity to spend money. Yeah, I, I agree. And we kind of talked about social media a little bit and the, the Yelpification of the food industry and open table and even Instagram. Can you talk a little bit about how different owning and managing and being a chef is in 2020 versus what it would have been like in like the 80s, where even picturing a a dish and, and making sure it's aesthetically pleasing for Instagram or, or treating people the right way to get the good Yelp review? Like, how does that affect what you do on a daily basis? Well, so for me. So for me, the engagement in the community that is created by social media around my restaurants, and it's different for each one of my restaurants, you know, the community and the, and the social media and the interaction is different. So how would I say it? It's different. Um, it, it has to be more inclusive. It ha- like, and it is because people can reach you at any time. They can reach out to you via, you know, I have people reach out to me via Facebook, instant messenger, um, Instagram, TikTok, you know, whatever the case may be. So the one thing that I think is really, really awesome about it is it allows each professional, whatever business you're in, to show multiple facets of their personality. So that's a great thing. Now, the the caveat, the Yelp, the Yelp world and things like that is yeah. – that before people used to get their information about restaurants, about things from a very select like group of people and a very select um, set of frames, if you will. Now, depending on the moment, the time that you click, what you clicked on yesterday, you are seeing it through whatever frame is closest to you at that time. So if somebody had a, what you don't see in social media is, okay, so Sally had a bad day. She had a fight with her, with her sister. And then (laughs) she came, she came to the restaurant and nothing was right. And she just wasn't feeling it because she was angry and Mm -hmm. the server wasn't exactly how she wanted it to be. And they didn't come exactly as fast as she wanted. So it's, it's such a, uh, such a microcosm or chasm, however you say that, of the experience <laughs> that, but people take it as law. They take that as, that is what it's like to go there. That is what it's like. So whenever someone spreads something negatively, I mean, people really hook to it, but it's only one frame. It's not like people, I think that it's funny because Yelp is there and it gives you, you know, a star system or whatever of, you know, that's an average of however many, you know, views and everything. People don't pay attention to that though. They want to go on. They want to see the nasty. They're going to go mm-hmm. on and look for they go sh- straight to the one star reviews. straight to the one stars. Um, <laughs> and you know, so that, you, we tend to ignore the positive because there's less drama there. And I think that as a business owner, 
what you have to do with social media is continually highlight the positive and continually mm. highlight when someone says something great about you or your team members did a great thing because we're just, look, it, it's a survival mechanism. We tend to look for the negative because we're trying to survive. It's like fight or flight, you know, but, yeah, yeah. but it almost becomes an addiction because you can get to it so readily um, and so quickly that we just have a do, to do a better job of highlighting the great things and not always selling. And that is, that is the thing. And, you know, sometimes we, we do it great in my organization. Sometimes we don't, but we have to add value through content. And it is a mistake to just sell, 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 sell. Cause people just tune you out. They're like, they're like, Oh, well, yep. It's Tuesday. And yep. You know, Cafe Jester says that they're selling this, this, and this. Uh, yep, it's Wednesday. They're selling this, this, and this. But if you, you know, put out a cooking demo or you put out a, hey, this, a story even, a piece of entertainment. Hey, you know, I love this particular dish on the menu, which is a weird one. People say it's weird, but I love it because when I grew up, I didn't like this and my mom made it this way for me. So by including people it's a fantastic tool to build a community around your restaurant your brand what you do your your meal delivery service or whatever uh and i think that i think it's something we could all be better at but um as far as yelp is concerned i mean it's given it's given way too much power to somebody who's emotional in one instant but didn't have <laughs> but didn't have the balls to say anything while they were in the restaurant you know, you know, I you you say that so perfectly because it, so often the star system it specifically gives no nuance and there's zero context to anything. And let's face it, the average person is not great at reviewing things. It's it's either five or it's one. And even the the five star system is its own thing, but it requires such a, a knowledge of figuring out the positives and the negatives and weighing things like, oh, I showed up at 959. They closed at 10. They didn't serve me one star like that. People shouldn't just do that. I, I want to pivot a little bit yep. to your time on reality TV, because if, if you don't know this about Robbie, he's been all over the place TV wise, including guys grocery games a few times. You did win and you beat Bobby Flay. This is season nine, episode five of Beat Bobby Flay. You beat him, spoiler alert, a few years ago with your famous Cavatelli shrimp scampi. Can you tell any of the behind the scenes? Any What does Bobby Flay smell like? <laughs> um, <laughs> anything about those experiences on reality TV and what that was like for you? I know we're a couple years removed from some of those things. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I went. So the first one that I did was Guys Grocery Games. I think I went into it like scared about mean TV people. Um, Cause you mm -hmm. see everything in TV and movies and everything like that. So that's the only assumption that you have to draw from is that like behind the scenes, TV people are mean and couldn't been, couldn't have been further from that truth. I mean, they were as sweet and helpful as they possibly could be. Um, you know, guys is guys. Grocery games is filmed in California in a warehouse that they staged to look like a grocery store. You wouldn't wait. There's not an actual store. No. What? So what? You wouldn't have any inclination that it was there at all. 
It's in the back of a huh. business park, like any business park driving through Delaware that you see. It's a warehouse. Uh, you know, maybe every once in a while his yellow Hummer pulled up. Um, but other Dude. than that, you wouldn't know that it was there. So the whole process, they kind of give you a walk through the store. Uh, you know, one walk through the store ahead of time. It's not very long. And mm. you better look out for the few things that you know uh, that you like or lean towards because you <laughs> you don't have much time. So you need to find those things, <laughs> ask those questions. You know, then you're basically in a trailer and you're kind of sequestered from everyone else in between all of the rounds. So you're outside in a trailer mm. and talking to each other, the competition. And um, they keep you and the judges to try and keep the integrity of the competition of the utmost integrity they you you stay separated and then you go in and you do the rounds man in the round everybody always asks is it really 45 minutes or is it really 30 minutes or whatever the time limit is that's my question too yes yeah. it is it absolutely is you gotta get it done and if you don't get it done i, I still have nightmares <laughs> probably about once a month that i'm running through the grocery store i've just got my cart and 15 minutes are gone and I get back to my station and I got eight minutes left and then I burn something and I got two minutes left and they say time's up hands up and I got nothing on the plate probably once <laughs> once awful. or twice a month I have that nightmare <laughs> that's awful <laughs> and it's, uh. it's disturbing and every time, like I'm like I'm like I'm gonna get it this time. I'm gonna make it, and then I don't. Um, oh, that's it's maybe the worst recurring dream. So, <laughs> so well, you, you talked about the the timing of it all. Like, is it really thirty? Is it really forty five? My one question about a reality cooking shows is do they edit the ends of the rounds so that everyone is is putting the final garnishes or whatever on their dish? And is everyone really done at the one second mark and put their hands up at the last second? Like, is, is that part edited at all? Or is everyone really that close to the wire every time? Uh, so it's edited for impact. Sure, um, okay. There are some people that finish early. I mean, I will say this on guys' grocery games. I mean, you're pretty close to the wire. It is a lot yeah. to go and shop and make that food and, you know, present it all and have it done with whatever parameters for each round. So yeah. it, it does often come down to the last second, but I've also had rounds where it didn't, it is edited for great TV. Okay. <laughs> I was just making sure. And obviously with beat Bobby flay, you, you did take him down. With a Cavatelli shrimp scampi, which you can order right now at the Stone Balloon Ale House. Correct. I have tried it. It's freaking phenomenal. What was that like being on his show? Was there an added level of competition? Is it more intense? Were you more nervous on the Bobby Flay show? So, less nervous. Um, the first episode of Guys Grocery Games, I was nervous. I would say after that, not really nervous anymore because I kind of knew what mm. to expect. And yeah. I, you know, I went into it. I, I have a wonderful support system, wonderful family. And I was like, my family's going to love me no matter what happens. So I'm just going to do my best and try and make some people laugh and have a good time. But when you go on Bobby Flay, there is that mystique of it being Bobby Flay, you know, being one of the original Food Network guys, having sure. done it so many times, you do get a little uh, intimidated by the fact that he basically has made a career out of being excellent chef one and two 
beating the crap out of other people at their own game. So there is some, mm. an intimidation factor there of like, he does not just, is he a cook and am I as good of a cook as him and everything like that? But he literally does this cooking competition thing every single day, multiple times a day for years and years and years. So it's a little intimidating, but as far as meeting him personally, he's really like behind the, the camera is kind of like quieter. Yeah, um, okay. So the camera comes on and when, when it's on and everything, obviously, you know, he, he has tremendous presence and he's supremely talented. But when the camera was off, I, you know, maybe he was tired that day or something, but he seemed a little bit quiet, but he, um, you know, I walked up to him and said a couple things a few times. I thanked him for the opportunity. Uh, and he was, he, he was very nice to talk to. Um, that's awesome. soft spoken and everything like that. Uh, what does he smell like? Don't remember. Didn't get that close. <laughs> um, <laughs> but some of the, uh, some of the crew members actually, uh, ended up being the same when I went from guys grocery games the first time to when I went back out for redemption. Yeah. Yeah. And when you go back out, they remember everything about you. Like it's like a family and everything like that. I'm still in contact with one of the guys that I met while I was out there who doesn't work for, for TV anymore, uh, but a fantastic mm-hmm. guy. And they really do like their whole job is to make you look good unless you're a jerk. And then their whole job is to make you look bad. But yeah. Then like, you're the villain. Yeah. If you're a nice person, then they, they really, really try their best to make you look good as much as you can look good being 70 pounds heavier than I am right now, sweating in a grocery store with food all over me. <laughs> like they, they do their best. So, Oh, that's awesome. It was funny. So my fiance and I, a few days ago, we were watching cooks versus cons and 20 minutes into this thing going, as I do when I watch any reality show, I'm like, man, I, I can totally fool these people. I, I can totally get them. Like I, I'm not a good cook, but I could like pretend to be a good cook for long enough and sound eloquent enough. And I'm like, I could probably pull that off. Is there a reality cooking show that you've ever watched and said, all right, I would absolutely destroy it on this show. And Part two to this question, is there a show that you're saying, man, that'd be really hard to do that? I think so. Shows that I could really kill it on food truck wars mm, because mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to get out there and and run my trap and sell uh, sell stuff off of a food truck. <laughs> and I, <laughs> yeah. from years of catering at Toscana and everything like that, like I'm good on the fly. I'm good with with less resources. Um I think more so than some chefs that have only ever worked in restaurants um, and haven't done catering. So I would say that one, I think I would kill it. Um, I would say that chopped in the earlier years would have been really tough. I think that they've made the basket selections uh, over time be a little bit simpler and easier to manage in that. I completely agree. In that the, the combinations kind of go together a little bit more. But like mm-hmm. back in the day, it was like you got a donut and a piece of licorice and a piece of seaweed and <laughs> a um, couple clams. Like, what are you going to do? And you're like an Ethernet cable. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just they were they were outrageous. And I was like, cool, man, I don't know about that. But uh, anymore, I think that, uh, I th- you know, after doing two different shows, you get comfortable with that idea and, and just think about, you know. Hey, I think I can just roll with it. All right, let's do some rapid fire questions that I know we uh, 
you've got a lot on your plate, figuratively speaking. That was really cheesy unintentionally, but um, to get to. So rapid fire questions for you. Number one, is there a food that you absolutely will not try under any circumstances? Uh, breakfast cereal. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody says that. What? Uh, I, I had a bad uh, childhood experience with breakfast cereal. I eat no breakfast cereals. Got no inclination to even try any of it. Oh my gosh, Robbie, you're missing out on one of life's greatest pleasures. Oh, I, I hear it all the time, but uh, yeah, Cheerios, Fruit Loops, none of that. Mm-mm. So, when was the last time you had breakfast cereal? Oh, dude, I was six. Oh seven. my god, what? Yep. This is blowing my mind right now. <laughs> All right, next one, because that's crazy. All right, what is the craziest thing to ever happen to you in the kitchen? I will say the craziest thing that's ever happened to me is seeing the sprinkler go off. So, <laughs> so this is, oh. this is actually a stone balloon story, and I'll probably make somebody mad by telling it. But we had <laughs> – so the stone balloon kitchen is tiny, and the ceilings are low. So on the top of the line is where all of the plateware and everything goes. And um, we had a, a guy washing dishes and he was putting a cast iron skillet, clean cast iron skillet back up on the shelf to uh-huh. um, for the cooks to be able to grab it. And he put it up there and it wouldn't, and, he, and it like wouldn't go in. So he smacked it up there. And what he didn't realize is that he was smacking it against the sprinkler head and <laughs> broke the sprinkler head off of the sprinkler. And I was literally walking out the front door. I had one foot out the door and I heard the hissing <laughs> because before the sprinklers come off, it's all air blowing out air of the mm-hmm. line. So I heard the hissing and I was like, Oh my. <laughs> I was like, what is that? And I turn around, and one of the guys who still works there has his hand up there, and he's trying to stop the water. Oh and it's just my going everywhere. Full shutdown of dinner service. Had to evacuate the dining room. The fire oh, department no. comes. Has to. Oh no. Has to. Uh, <laughs> um, what do you call? Evacuate all the apartments upstairs. Oh, geez, man. We were there. <laughs> I was there till I think four thirty, five in the morning, mopping the water up. Because what they don't tell you about that ever is that the only way for that sprinkler system to stop is for it to evacuate all of the water that's in the line. Oh, so you, you, the whole kitchen is probably under like five, six inches of water at that point. Well, and, oh, my well, God. Luckily, we were smart enough to know that it was going to take a little while. So we. One, we threw out all the food that was on the line at the time, oh, but geez. moved the equipment out. So luckily, we didn't lose any equipment or anything. Like we pushed every piece of equipment out that could go out. It was just the one <laughs> sprinkler head, so it wasn't. They didn't all pop off, thank goodness. But that's probably the craziest thing that I've seen. I've seen happen. Oof. Uh, that could have been worse. Thank God it was not. Yeah. Next rapid fire question for you: What is your challenge dish. So a food for you that's the most difficult to cook that comes through and you're like, oh, I got to make this thing again. Because I've tried almost everything that you've created from the hot wing chowder to the beef and bacon lollipops to your desserts. Everything's phenomenal. But I would love to know if there's anything 
from one of the greats that even pushes you to your absolute limit when you're preparing it? So it's a really simple thing, but I think because I'm so critical about uh, the quality, uh, honestly, it's homemade biscuits. So homemade biscuits for me is one of those things that when when I have an excellent one, I'm like, man, that is so good. And then when I try to make them like that, (laughs) that light, Mm -hmm. fluffy, tall, delicious biscuit, I just have a hard time with it. And I don't have a hard time necessarily with bread or other doughs or anything like that. But biscuits are definitely my uh, challenging for me. It it eludes me. (laughs) My fiance and I tried to make homemade donuts a few weeks ago. Dude, they were so bad. (laughs) They were so bad. I'm like, we're going to follow this Gordon Ramsay recipe. They're going to look like his. I'm going to do exactly what he did. They were horrendous. I may not ever go back to the donut world ever again. (laughs) Well, you know, there's a couple of different types of donuts, and some of them are more forgiving than others. I think cake donuts are more forgiving uh, than yeah. a yeast-risen donut. But same thing, got to have patience. And a lot of people make the dough too wet, or not too wet, too dry. And then you end up with like mm-hmm. a stiff, stiff, dry donut. Yeah, mine was like chewing on a table leg. They were, they were freaking <laughs> awful. All right, let's play a quick game. So we call this overrated, underrated, or properly rated. I'll name some Memorial Day barbecue foods, and you will tell me if you believe they are overrated, underrated, or properly rated. Are you ready? Got it. Yeah, here we go. Pulled pork. Properly rated. Mmm. Mmm. I love pulled pork. Now, okay, quick one. Do you do you cook your pulled pork in the sauce, or do you add that later? Uh, so, add it later. Yeah. Add it later. Yeah. I think it should be cooked on its own and its own pork loveliness and then um, <laughs> accentuated with it, a good sauce. I am a sauce guy, so I do like it in the sauce. There are some yeah. schools of barbecue thought that you don't put sauce on anything, but I, I, I like it. Blue crabs. Overrated. Oh, and as a Maryland explain. boy, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Um, (laughs) i will say blue crabs are a lot of work i I think all right here's my take on blue crabs which i love blue crabs i didn't have my first one until i was like 17 18 years old but i think when people think blue crabs they think more about the environment and the social aspect and sitting outside in the summertime more than we think about the actual crab meat itself going into our bodies that's my hot take on blue crabs so so what i would say is for the reasons that you love it are the reasons why I don't like it because (laughs) I don't want to work that long and that hard in the heat for my food. So I'm the guy when, when it's crab time. And for years, my family thought that I didn't know how to do it. Like they, they, they're like, Oh, you don't know how to do it. That's why you don't do it. Like, I'm like, no, I know how to do it. Like I can do it. So this past summer I, I, I had to like prop up and, and do it. They so understood yeah. that I knew how to do it, but I'm the guy that just goes for the hot dog and six ears of corn and I'm good. I love it. I love it. What about spare ribs? Underrated, overrated, or properly rated? Uh, underrated. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. I think, uh, and the right sauce will take those over the edge. All right. Last one. What about baked beans? Overrated. I'll go properly rated here because when I go to baked beans, like for me, that's just like the filler on my plate. 
And I, I don't really get much out of it. I don't love the taste, but I just know if I eat a few of these, I'll be full enough to not like overdo it on something else. I like, uh, so I like treating them as a condiment. So like I'll treat them as like a condiment on a hot dog or a hamburger or something like that. But yeah. a little, little tip for everybody with your baked beans. I know you Ooh, like, yes. I know you like sweet baked beans, but a little bit of salt goes a long way. And if you don't want to put salt in it, then I recommend a stone ground mustard. Stone ground mustard in the baked beans. Yes. I, I've never thought about this before. Bro, okay, I'm more, I, I may try. I'm that. more on the salty, tangy side of baked beans than the all the molasses, the honey, the brown sugar. And we do a we do a baked bean at limestone. It's kind of like a mix of both. So it's a little tangy. It's a little spicy. We use jala- yeah. we use jalapeno bacon for it there. Um. But sweet as well. But yeah, I, my my complaint about baked beans is you usually get them at somebody's house and they are super sweet and just a little bit of salt would help. A little bit of salt, stone ground mustard too. I'm, I'm literally taking notes right now. All right, before we wrap up, Robbie, um, in the middle of all of this, the world's insane right now. People are staying inside and, and we're finally being able to go out and enjoy some of our favorite things again and go out to our favorite restaurant and bars. And one thing about what you've been doing, especially recently has been kind of sharing your journey with, with all of this and being open on social media and sharing your side of things. And, and from the fitness side to the restaurant side, do you have any tips for everyone on how to stay positive in the middle of all of this and, and keeping the right head on your shoulders and just dealing with something that's so oppressive? Yeah. So I think, I think the best thing I can say uh, about staying positive is the importance of consistency in a routine. So, mm. r- w- and what that does for you is it, it helps to maintain your level of confidence, helps to maintain your level of commitment to yourself. So having a routine, whatever it is. And the best thing I think that people could have done is like, okay, so you go, you know, you go to the point of normal everyday life to now everything has changed establishing a routine that moves you towards your goals and hitting that routine the most that you can, the most days in a row that you can. So one of the things that I work with and I, I follow a podcast used to be called the MF CEO podcast, but now it's uh, the real AF podcast. He talks about a power list and I use it. Andy Frisella, he's fantastic. It's tons of free content. There's no advertising. It's really fantastic, but Mm he talks about the use of a power list and I've incorporated it as well. So it's five uh, core tasks to move you towards your goals. And if you complete, and it's not big tasks, it could be, you know, it could be call five sales prospects. It could be, you know, tell my, tell my, my grandmother that I love her or whatever. Cause you know, everybody has different goals, but you knock off those five things and it's a win for the day and you try to string together wins. So by giving yourself those small actionable tasks to work towards every day, you one are eliminating the times where you're like, woe is me. But two, keeping promises to yourself builds confidence and confidence allows you to push through things that otherwise you would get pushed up against. I love that. That's awesome, man. Hey, his name is Robbie Jester. You can find him on social media. Just search for Robbie Jester. It's the Stone Balloon Ale House. Head there for Wednesday's cheap date night, plus uh, limestone barbecue and bourbon, full circle food, high five hospitality, three time reigning Delaware today, best chef upstate. 
the best shrimp scampi this side of, well, Hollywood. <laughs> hey, Robbie, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate you coming on, and we'll, we'll do this again soon. You're dude. welcome, brother. Thank you so much. 